Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Heal the Hurt podcast. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about the signs and characteristics of enmeshment. If you recall last week, I talked about what causes it. What are, you know, because a lot, and what is it exactly? Because many people are just unaware. People know about codependence, but they're not aware of enmeshment. And it's, they're, they're very similar, but there are some key distinctions, which I laid out in the last video. If you haven't seen that, I really encourage you to go back and watch it. It'll be very eye-opening for you. But now we're going to get into how is this showing up in my life, all right? Well, as it is with many of my videos, when we learn new things about ourselves, it, it can be difficult, especially if we were enmeshed with, because the general reaction is to feel a sense of shame or low self-worth that there's something wrong with us. So I want to use the old metaphor and fable of a great becoming wine to give you some hope and to if that moment of shame or low self-worth hits you it gives you something to grab onto so you don't drop into that because that's the byproduct that sense of we can't hear new information or discover aspects of ourselves without feeling terrible about ourselves and my hope is this metaphor will help you navigate that but Think of a grape. A grape on its own is perfect. Great color, great shape. For many people, they love the taste of grapes. I know a few don't, but, but basically on its own, it, it's this wonderful element. It's perfectly imperfect, just as it is. Well, how does it become wine? Well, for it to become wine, it has to be crushed, pulverized, completely disintegrated. And as that process is happening, it's basically happening in the open with a bunch of other grapes that can see their, the pulverization, they're sharing in that process. And then it goes through a process of fermentation and chemicals and other things are added into it. And then it's allowed to sit and rest before it matures into this beautiful bottle of wine. Well, that's all of us. We're all born perfect like a grape perfectly shaped, perfect color, nothing wrong with us. But life crushes us. Parenting, just normal day-to-day -day things hurt us. And there's only one way to reclaim ourselves is that crushing, the pulverization process. We have to go deep within and discover what it was that happened with us. And we, the, we have to do that with others. It cannot be done alone. A grape can't survive on its own. It, to become wine, it needs others. And then it requires gaining new additives and things placed into it for it to reach its full potential, new knowledge, new skills, new tools. And then it, as it gathers in all of that new information, all those new tools, it needs a period of rest where it navigates that it slowly lets all of that in and starts to embody the change 
starts to embody the knowledge and skills, starts to embody the community that it's sharing with all these other perfectly imperfect grapes and people that have been pulverized as well. And then they all come together to form this great new perfect version or greatest version of itself, this wonderful bouquet of a wine. Well, that's the recovery process. We all need to go through that. So if you recognize things in yourself here and you find yourself dropping down, just keep that metaphor in mind. You're just in the process of fermenting, gaining knowledge, skills, and tools, joining with others that are in the same process. There's nothing wrong with any of us. We're all just working the journey so that we can eventually reach our full potential and the greatest version of ourselves and embody the bouquet of that wine. So characteristic or sign number one of enmeshment is a, a person who feels the need to rescue people or uh, one person in particular. It's very common with codependence and enmeshment. The, that distinction is still the same. Number two is they feel a need to be rescued by somebody else. Now this I'm going to talk a little bit deeper on because part of this aspect of needing to be rescued is an enmeshed person, a codependent person, both, they get very, very nice. And unfortunately, they are out of reality. They think, I mean, they are truly nice people, but the way they go about being nice is actually incredibly manipulative. It's meant to get attention and, and manipulate people to take care of them. It's not freely given. It's not actually nice. And I'm going to give you an example from my own life. Um, when I, you know, I mean, it was just, a, I mean, I've been working on this stuff for years, but this was several years ago. I had a client who I needed to reschedule an appointment with. And so I sent her a text and she replied back, of course, not a big deal. Well, I started typing out this really long reply. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's really big help. Um, I really appreciate it. And I realized, my goodness, because of the enmeshment, because of my need to be rescued, I was creating this huge, profusive reply. It was like a paragraph of being overly nice. And I realized this is so manipulative. This isn't kind. A simple thank you or even thanks is enough. But see, an enmeshed person, that's not enough. They need, they they just have this compulsion to be really, really nice. And, and to just type thank you would feel rude, that they're not actually being nice. Well, that's one of the recovery signs is learn to just say thank you. I've had to learn that when I type things out to pause and, all, and still to this day, many times, a lot of the things I'm writing, I have to cut it in half, 70, 80% because it's way too much information it's manipulative, attention-seeking. There are a lot of hidden agendas in it because of the enmeshment I suffered in childhood. So it's something I'm constantly aware of. And this would be a common theme with somebody who um, has been enmeshed with. Also, you know, in those conversations, uh, you send an email saying something, they go, thanks very much. You're welcome. No, really, thank you. Like they just have to get the last word. They can't stop. They can't back off. That's the attention-seeking. Oh, but what do you mean? I'm just being nice. No, your niceness, this is where they're out of touch, they're out of reality. They have a skewed view of themselves and they don't realize that that incessant niceness is actually manipulative. 
and it's attention seeking. So it's really two things. They're out of touch with reality that they're using people to try and rescue them and they're out of touch with reality that their niceness is actually not really nice. It's a manipulative attempt to gain attention. Number three, they have a history of dysfunctional and chaotic relationships. Divorce, narcissists, um, abusers, all, all different types of you know, abandonment and chaos in their relationships. Um, any person who's been through these dynamics has been divorced at all um, or has constant breakups or is single most of their life. You know, there's just disarray and chaos in relationships. That's a sign of enmeshment. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, number four, while in relationship, they don't have any outside interests, any outside friends, personal space, activities, or pursuits. Um, they're isolated with the exception of the person they're in a relationship with or their parent or their child. See, they, they're always looking to over-attach or they're in attachment binds, meaning they're in a primary relationship, but they can't let go of the relationship with their parents. They're still too attached. Or they're in a primary relationship and it's not going well, and so they over-attach to the child. They're now enmeshing with the child and creating those romantic... Um, over-attention, over-indulging conditions I talked about in the first video. And so they, they don't have separate interests, separate friends, uh, separate activities. It's always consumed in one of those three ways. It's, it, it's a primary, deep-seated, enmeshed, suffocating, all-or-nothing relationship with somebody. They don't have autonomy in their life, all right? Number five is an inability to feel happy if their partner is sad. And this is really a loss of an internal boundary. When they're in this place, what happens is anyone else's mood can affect them. They can't stay moderate. They, they don't have the ability for true empathy. And so when somebody comes to us sad, lonely, depressed, whatever, they become the sadness or loneliness versus being able to empathize and go, man, and recall in their own life, I remember sadness, I remember depression. Oh, God, those are difficult feelings. And so we can empathize with them, but we don't become that. If we were happy that day, we stay happy. For someone who's enmeshed, they'll just, they'll become the sadness of the other person. All right. Number six, they swallow their anger uh, and disappointment in relationships, and they don't speak up and advocate for themselves. They are not capable of asking for their needs and wants. They will allow themselves to be trampled on, silently resent the other person, that they're not getting their needs and wants met. They will expect the other person to mind read for them and know what they need. Or they just are needless and wantless. They just won't even have any. They completely give themselves away because that was the role they were placed in in childhood. That's what enmeshment is. The loss of childhood in the service of a parent or parents okay, or authority figure. Number eight, they can't say no or set boundaries. Um, I go into much deeper detail. I have a video, the next video coming out talks about exactly how to say no. There's a four question process to walk yourself through and two magic phrases, which work every single time. If you use these two magic phrases, you will never struggle with saying no again. I urge you to watch the next video coming up, whether you suffered enmeshment or codependence or anything in your life. It is groundbreaking how simple those two magic questions make your life. 
and make it easy for you to say no in any circumstance, all right? The next sign or characteristic is number nine, health problems. One of the greatest ways enmeshed people get their power back is to become sick and hurt. They will struggle with headaches, fatigue, chronic pain, autoimmune diseases, um, uh, arthritis. All of these diseases or illnesses are self-inflicted. I know that's tough to hear, but the science is overwhelming. It shows it. It's been out for decades. The media and the, and the medical community and mostly the drug companies don't want you to know this information. But it's, it's in the scientific literature. It's been out there forever. We become sick and hurt because of our emotional condition. There are only three genes that if you're born with those genes, you are destined to get that illness. Every other gene is triggered by the environment. Several, Bruce Lipton, several other people that's been known, the Darwin, you know, the, the theory that, you know, genes determine us has been debunked. Our genes get activated by the environment we're in. We may be born with a gene for one of these illnesses, but it will not turn on unless there's the right emotional condition to activate it. That's what gets us sick and hurt. And so a person who's been enmeshed with has been in such emotional turmoil their whole life. It will show up in all of these illnesses. I talked about it in my book when I discovered this. I discovered this without knowing the science behind it. Um, it was innate in me um, where I was 18, 19 years old. The, see, here's what's fascinating. I had never had health issues. The day I found my mom passed out naked on the toilet, starting shortly after that, I was in and out of hospitals all throughout high school with back and stomach problems. They could never find out what was wrong. Nothing. Eventually, they found, you know, my appendix burst. And that was the only, you know, stomach thing they found. But as I see now, it was all self-induced. And here's the proof of it. The last time my back went out, um, I was in the garage and it just, boom, it's gone. And so there I was crippled on the floor and I'm screaming at my mom to come help me because my crutches were in the rafters. And she wouldn't come because she was drunk. And finally, I screamed out to her, you selfish son of a blank. When are you going to stay sober long enough to take care of me? And literally in that moment, I went ice cold. I got chills. I realized, oh my God, this day was the one and only time when I got sick or hurt that my mom was drunk. You see, I realized in that moment, I had been making myself sick and hurt all those years because if I was sick or hurt... My mom would stay sober and take care of me. And we that's what everyone's doing that's getting sick and hurt. I know that's difficult to hear. The medical community says, oh, no. But look, you do the research. The Adverse Childhood Experience Study, Bruce Lipton, like there, it's out there. We get sick and hurt. Cancer, all of these diseases. I've worked with countless clients, shingles, these where we deal with the original health, the original emotion, the health condition goes away. I beg you to pick up this book by Gabor, Dr. Gabor Matei, When the Body Says No. This lays out study after study after study, proven science that shows our health is determined by our emotional condition. It's all out there. But here's what's sad. Our doctors don't even get taught about emotional trauma. There's only a couple schools in the whole U.S. where they take a single class on trauma. 
we have known for decades you cannot separate the brain, the mind from the body. And what that means is the body is where we hold our emotional trauma. Yet the way medicine looks at, at any illness and disease is like a car. Broken spark plug, give it a pill, fix this. Now it's wonderful for broken bones. Yes, it works great for that. But for all of these illness and, illnesses and diseases, that model doesn't work. It needs to be psycho, social, it needs to be behavioral, it needs to be all-inclusive. They don't, that's not how any of our doctors are taught. So they are missing out on at least 50% of the information of what make, makes us um, sick and, and have diseases. I beg you, if you have chronic health conditions, please do the research. You're going to see, my God, it's a travesty what our medical community, what they're robbing us of because they refuse to learn about this because most of them grew up enmeshed and codependent. And it's, so it's a severe shame dynamic. They don't want to admit it. In part, also the drug companies fund all the medical schools. So they have a vested interest in making sure we don't learn any of this information. Here's just one example of how the drug um, companies do that. It's been shown every single depressive medication out there in every um, study before they go to market, there's like less than 3% difference between the depressive medication and sugar pill, placebo. Basically, there's no difference. When you're on antidepressive medication, you might as well take sugar pill. But you think your belief in the system is what gives you some moderate effect for those it helps. And see, they want to ban that testing. They don't even want to do it anymore because of that truth. They're trying to get it outlawed or, or done away with because it affects their ability to sell their drugs. And it's not, it's not that. It's every single one. Depressive medication is robbing people of the root solution. It's our emotional condition coming from codependence, enmeshment, trauma, and childhood. That's where depression comes from. It's an emotional condition. Giving it a pill doesn't help it. And the proof of that is look at what happens when you take a pill. There are 20,000 side effects. I'm exaggerating. But 20 other side effects that go along with it, and they have to give you another pill. So if it actually worked, why are there so many side effects? Why does it create more problems? That's not a solution. That's just a transference of the problem. And that's we, but we've all been conditioned. Oh, this is what's sad. The medical community of any profession has the highest confidence, like over 74, 75%, when it really should be at about 20% because we are so misinformed on what's creating our illness and disease. Okay? I know that's pretty harsh, but when you do the research, you wake up and go, wow, oh my God. When are they going to start really helping us? And it would take a fundamental reworking of the medical community. Um, Doctor, I always forget his name. Dr. Henry Block, I think it was. Uh, and, and, and I forget the association, the American Pediatric Association. Basically, he was the head of child, well, you know, child wellness and healthcare. Um, he's retired now, but he said this years ago that the single number one health crisis in America today is unhealed childhood trauma. That's the cause of illness and disease. It's out there. This is well known and documented. I urge you, if you have health conditions, pick up this book, read the studies, get educated on it, go to your doctor and start asking for real care so you can heal from this pain. All right? Number 10 of a sign of a someone who's suffered, um, who's struggling with enmeshment is they avoid intimacy and connection in relationships. They will tend to feel smothered. 
at any request for intimacy or connection, or if you need help. This was me. I, I remember early on in, you know, in my 20s, dating, a, if a woman needed help, got sick or hurt, I would go ballistic. The rage inside of me, because my job was to take care of my parents emotionally. So if there was ever a request, you know, she'd get sick. It's like, you know, to show any sign of care, oh my God, I would freak out. No. Now this isn't just taking care of somebody, but it's people who don't want to have deep discussions. They don't want to talk about their feelings. They run away from arguments because in an argument, arguments take intimacy and connection and they don't want that. So they avoid them. All right. Number 11, they're afraid to support their partner for fear it may alienate their parents. This happens a lot. They will create, if, if they have plans with their spouse and mom or dad calls and makes a request, hey, we're going to have a um, dinner party tonight, they'll cancel everything. I know for me, <laughs> this is a sign of perfect imperfection in both me and my ex-wife. Our first marital bed, I remember we went looking at beds, we'd just been married, and we're contemplating a couple of them. We couldn't make the decision without talking to her parents. We basically, our whole marriage, we didn't do anything unless her parents approved of it. Everything was run by her parents. If we had something planned and her parents called, everything was scrapped. We had to go do it. I remember their parents throwing garage sales and I had a, I had a job. I had my own construction company. And I remember getting ripped for not taking the day off and helping them set up and run the garage sale. That's how the dynamic works. You are a prisoner to the parents and meeting their needs. Number 12, addictions, especially to food. It breaks my heart that we are condoning obesity. Almost everyone now is obese. If you're, you know, that's classified. If you're over 15 pounds, 15 pounds overweight, you're obese. That is not because of your thyroid or, and, you know, that's the new thing is we've created, again, we keep creating these false maladaptive excuses to avoid tremendous emotional pain. Did you know it takes on average about 1,500 calories a day to feed us? That's it. That's all we need. Now, a bodybuilder is different. But for the normal person, their normal daily life, we need very, very little food. All food, anything above that, we eat based on emotion. We are starving emotionally. We are stuffing and medicating the pain, the emotional pain with food. That is documented. That's, that's where the adverse childhood experience study came from, Dr. Filetti. He was running a massive um, weight loss study and people's yo-yoing. And that's why diets don't work. Diets are a waste of time, complete waste of time. And, and they show, studies show within five years, people gain it all back. Like they're virtually not effective. All right. And, and I say virtually, there's the odd success case, but truly keeping it off. As he discovered, as he was doing this weight loss study, the patients would lose weight. They, you know, exercise, great food. And, and the type of food you eat has very little to do with it. All of these conditions are a waste of time. The the single greatest determiner of your weight is your emotional condition. The groundbreaking moment for Dr. Filetti came after years of working with these people, doing this study, trying to figure out diets, exercise, all these different things to get people to um, control their weight. 
And finally, one woman in his office who had just come off a cycle of going up and down turned to him and said, Doc, don't you realize we eat because we're in pain? Pay attention. If you're more than 15 pounds overweight, watch. Just over the next couple days, watch. Every time you reach for food, you're feeling emotional pain. You're trying to soothe it. It breaks my heart. I'm not trying to judge you. But I'm just trying to bring reality into what's going on. Now, it's not just weight problems. People who have been enmeshed with, have there's a high correlation to alcohol, pills, pot, sex. Every addiction they're at, working out, workaholism. The difficulty is our society just condones multiple addictions. Alcohol is basically okay. It's okay now to be fat. It's okay to be um, drunk. It's okay to smoke pot. And you try and tell me pot isn't addictive. Tell someone who smokes pot to stop. They'll go ballistic because they're anxiety. What's anxiety? Trauma. They're just medicating. You take these, you tell a workaholic to stop working. You tell a workout addict to stop pursuing their hobbies. They freak out. They're using it to medicate. Now, are there some benefits from it? From working out, of course. A healthy adult is moderate. They they don't live in the extremes. They may pop out to the extreme, but they don't live there. Enmeshed codependent people live there. These are the, you know, the athletes and, you know, the the extreme sport athletes and all these different things. I, I mean, they get some joy out of it, sure. But really what they're trying to mask is how much pain they're in. Okay. <clears throat> Number 13, a fear of conflict and being abandoned. Um, they will avoid fights because a fight could lead to abandonment. And going back to earlier, that's why they'll stuff all of their pain and resentment. Number 14, they feel threatened. If the partner they're with has any sort of dreams or activities or pursuits that don't include them, they will go ballistic. What are you doing? Are you just going to have an affair? That's why you want to go do that. You don't want to spend time with me. Or they'll play the martyr. There are many different ways. They'll sit and pout. Um, they'll, they'll demand that even though you've just worked a 70-hour week because there was some push at work that you still go to the party that they wanted to go to. How could you dare leave me alone? And um, or, or the person who had had plans would demand they stay with them. You can't go to that party. What do you mean? I've had a 70-hour week. You need to be here to take care of me. You're so selfish and rude. They cannot have outside pursuits, activities, or interests because it's a threat. Because underneath it, there's such severe abandonment that was caused by the enmeshment. All right? Number 15, control. They feel responsible. Now, they're not only controlling of people and situations, but they feel responsible for everyone and everything. They will take a situation if somebody is upset or hurt they will spin that back on them and be take responsibility for it they will blame themselves for anything and everything or they'll take no responsibility at all all right basically they're in because the enmeshment was so severe their their will has become disabled and so now it's run by everyone but themselves and so that's why when somebody has a problem or um, is, you know, anything in their life isn't going well, they take on responsibility. That's an attempt to get control. When we over own a situation and blame ourselves, we are after control because we, our will was stripped from us because as a child, we were never allowed 
to ever have our own will. And so that's how we do it. It's a manipulative backdoor way of regaining that will. Um, number 16 through 20, we're almost there. These specifically have to do with an empath. This is another false um, ideal that we're passing. Um, again, we keep creating all of these maladaptive, wrong terms for things so people don't have to face the truth of their perfect imperfections and the root cause of their problems. An empath is somebody who has been severely enmeshed with and their severe codependence in childhood. It is wonderful for us to have, you know, an ability to connect, but an empath goes too far. They are completely consumed and all of them gets changed by another person. That is not a badge of courage. And that's how you see this. I'm an empath. Like people will excuse. I see it all in my posts, narcissism posts. Well, the narcissism came after me because I'm an empath. It's a badge of courage. Like I'm better than the narcissist because I'm so nice, because I have no boundaries. I'm so codependent. I'm so enmeshed that they took advantage of me. It's false power. A truly healthy adult has empathy, which means I can identify with your situation, but I don't become your situation. And that's what an empath is, is they become the situation because they cannot, they have no boundaries. They were so stripped from them in childhood. It is not a badge of courage. It's a false precept that gives people a false identity and robs them of the opportunity of healing from the horrific enmeshment and codependence they experienced. I've had to deal with this. I, it still happens to me. I, because of the enmeshment was so severe, I can walk in a room and feel and know things about people they don't even know about themselves. That's not healthy. I've, I've had to realize, like I've, I've for a long time talked about it, like, you know, I have this great gift. It's actually very destructive and very invasive, both to me and to them. It's not a bad badge of courage. It's a sign of severe dysfunction to have that ability. And so I also had to recognize that when I would get around certain people, all of a sudden I'd notice my affect, my mood, my expressions, my humor, all these different things, personality traits would become theirs. That's the empath. They, they lose themselves. They cannot stay contained. Again, it's just like calling stress. Stress is false empowerment. When we're stressed, we're afraid. Pot is false empowerment. We're feeling anxious and, and fear and stress. We need to deal with the emotional trauma instead of medicating it with pot. Food, all of these things we've rat, we keep at weight. Now it's okay to be obese and overweight and we're creating this, you know, don't fat shame people. No, let's get into reality that we're medicating and that the illnesses and diseases that somebody says, well, my thyroid and all these things. Well, if you deal with the underlying condition, you won't have that thyroid problem. We need to get into reality on these topics and start dealing with the root cause and quit creating more and more dysfunction and more and more deception and denial. All right. <clears throat> so number 16, um, again, these are specific to an empath. This is all classic signs of massive um, um, enmeshment. If their emotions are instantly or easily shifted by other people, I just explained you know how that can happen number 17 they feel guilt and shame or anxiety if they do anything for themselves 
or a family member or other or anything for themselves above a family member, their child or somebody else. They just can't do it. It feels tremendously. um, They feel selfish, guilty, anxious, rude. The recovery for them is to feel all of those things. Then they're probably not even close to being moderate. But in time, they'll move to moderation. But originally, their first attempts at it are, are still enmeshed, still codependent. But they're so far out, they don't recognize, they're out of reality as to what healthy boundaries look like that it will feel as though they're way over on the other side of the scale. All right. Number 18, they feel like they don't have a say in their life. Well, look at what happens to an empath. They're completely affected by anyone and everything. They don't have a say in their life. That's why they end up with a narcissist. That's why they end up with somebody who's abusive. They couldn't set boundaries. They couldn't take care of themselves. That's not a badge of courage to go around saying, I'm an empath. I have no control of my life or no say in my life. That's a sign of severe pain. We need to have honest empathy for these people, but we need to also love them enough to hold them accountable and and talk about the real issue here. It is not something that we should promote as healthy. That's the point I'm trying to get across. Number 19, they're unsure of who they are, what they believe, what they like or dislike, and they have difficulty making decisions and difficulty making choices. Well, that's why they ended up in these poor careers and these poor relationships. It's a lot. Enmeshment ultimately is a loss of self. It's a level of detachment and dissociation from the core person. It's not complete. In some cases it is. But their view of who they are, their reality is completely skewed. And it had to become skewed to keep the loyalty to the abuse that they experienced. And so they they created a false perception of who they are and what they are and what these things mean in their life. It was, the, it was a survival mechanism. It's not because they're bad or defective. They were taught to give up their soul to please and serve and obey their parents. That's heartbreaking, devastating, horrific. We should have true empathy for them. And the way we have empathy for them is we talk about the honest truth of these things and we create programs to help people turn this around and get back into reality. Number 20, personalization. This is where they make everything about themselves. So an example would be when a husband, say you're married, and your husband says, God, I'm so tired. And the wife goes, oh my God, what do you mean? You're tired of me? Do you see how they, they turn every criticism, every critique? Like a lot of the empaths hearing this are thinking, I'm shaming them. I'm saying they're bad. They're going to personalize everything. Instead of what I'm saying is what your parents did to you is horrific, but they're going to personalize it and see me as that parent again pointing down at them. On the flip side, a husband... Um, Here's his wife complain about, you know, she comes in from the grocery store, loading the groceries in the refrigerator. And she goes, my gosh, groceries are getting so expensive. And his reply is what? So you don't say you're saying I can't provide for us. See, he he heard that as though she was saying she's not he's not a good provider 
of their needs. It's not what he's, what he, man, I'm stumbling. It's not what she said, but they personalize it and they make everything about themselves. All right? That's a classic sign of enmeshment. It's to cast the blame on themselves. The shame core is so deep. That's also part of an empath. That's why they end up with narcissists. They personalize the problem because their control dynamic, remember earlier, they take on all the blame because that's a control mechanism. That's why they won't leave. That's why they stay because they're, they're staying in the relationship to control the narcissist. I know that sounds crazy and confusing, but please go to my um, playlist on narcissism where I talk in depth about how the people like myself who are attracted to narcissists are just as manipulative, and but we're doing it from the narcissist is falsely empowered. We are underempowered, but we're both just as manipulative. We're just doing it from the I'm nice place and the personalization place. It's just polar opposite ways we do it. So there you go. There are 20 signs. There are many more. But I hit on what I thought would be the most salient for people to see in themselves. Again, I urge you, pick up this book, When the Body Says No. This will really help you. Also, The Emotional Incest Syndrome by Dr. Patricia Love. This will really help you understand enmeshment, which is basically emotional incest. Please pick this up. Um, watch the videos that I suggested as well. If you like this content and you think it'll help somebody, maybe you know somebody where you're hearing a lot of these characteristics, please share it with them. Leave me your comments. Share how this has happened to you and how it's affected your life. Be one of the grapes to jump in the circle. Join with people in that recovery process. And we do that by sharing our stories. Also, if there are any certain topics that you want to learn more about, please send me a message so I can keep building content that you like. And that leads to the last one. Please, if, if you like this type of content, please subscribe. Just hit that button as well. And as always, enjoy the journey.